Jonathan Weeks, a few other ones in that passage. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. And as I forgot, uh, kids, if you haven't been dismissed yet, you can be dismissed for Kid Venture. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, many of us come knowing the struggles of living life in a fallen world and fallen bodies with fallen people that has dragged us down and robbed us of joy, robbed us from thriving in life where we're just surviving. Lord God, teach us a better way. Not to avoid the struggle, not to avoid the problems, because that's just part of life, but how to thrive with joy through them. We pray that your word would be living and active this morning on our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. As the day of Jesus is drawing near, as the end of verse 25 speaks of, Are we thriving or surviving? That's the question that I asked us to consider a few weeks ago when I began a sermon series on Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. And if you remember, in that sermon, I said biblically that the life of a true believer in Jesus Christ is not a life that we're called to endure each day. Just trying to get through to the next day, and the next day, and the next day? Or is it a life where we're called to live with wishful thinking that, like Eeyore, that just maybe tomorrow's going to be better? Or the life of the believer is not called to where we look in the rearview mirror wishing for the old, good old days of the past, and we fail to live in the present and for the future. Quite the opposite to these, the Bible speaks of the Christian life as being something that is much, much, much more than these things. Because the Bible speaks clearly that the life of the believer is to be a life of thriving. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly to me doesn't sound like survival. 
abundantly to me doesn't sound like we're just hoping with our heads in the sand that something's going to change. Abundantly to me doesn't sound like we're looking in the rearview mirror wishing for the good old days of the past. Or Psalm chapter Psalm 1 verses 1 to 3. It speaks about the believer's life being like is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. That doesn't to me sound like a life of survival. But it sounds like a life of thriving. These passages just two of the many that the Bible gives us that speaks towards how the life of believer is meant to be a life where we're not just surviving, but to be a life of thriving. And by, by thriving, I mean not possessions, not status, not wealth, not even having love in relationships. Because biblical thriving is none of these things that the Bible says thriving is all about. Who's going to watch the Super Bowl tonight? Who's going to watch the commercials that tempt us with ideas of what the thriving life looks like to the type of chips you eat, to the type of vehicle you drive, to the type of movie that you should go see when it's out in the theaters? Rather, biblical thriving, I believe, means that we live life with having great joy. Great joy despite the struggle, great joy despite the circumstances, because it's a joy that comes out from, under, from in us, that's not tied to our situations, our circumstances, and our experiences. It comes out because joy has been guaranteed to us by Jesus. Remember last time I read a whole bunch of verses, John 15, 11 is one of those. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In other words, Jesus has already given us joy. If we're a believer, he has given us, deposited us joy within us. I hope we say amen to that fact. Because if Jesus says we have something, do we not have it? Cannot Jesus be taken at his word? So if he says we have joy, we have joy. Now, with so many things in the Christian life, just because we've been guaranteed joy, are we cultivating it as we live life? Are we obtaining it? Are we accessing it? You ever received a gift or gave a gift to someone and they take it and you meant for them to use it to help their life and they put it on a shelf? They never pick it up. They never go to use it. How many of us are like that with the joy that Jesus gives? Just because we've been promised it, just because we've been given it, how do we cultivate it? How do we tap into it? How do we learn to use it? Because how many of us still only know joy that the world gives us joy? How many of us only know joy that's linked as a direct result to our circumstances, situations, and experiences 
And we really don't know the joy that Jesus gives us, that sees us through no matter what. Doesn't mean we don't feel those things, but we have to maintain a sense of joy even while enduring those things. Why is that important? Well, if our joy is only from the outside, it's going to be great when things are going good. Last night, just before I went to bed, I turned on the hockey game at the end of the second period. I thought I was living 30 years ago, which is really cool because, you know, in the next seven years, we should get five cups. Now, in about 25 years, every time I turned on the Oilers, I did not have much joy. How many of us are living life, and if life circumstances around us are good, we have lots of joy? And when they're not, our joy is sucked out from us. Life becomes a struggle, and we do not thrive at it. And to be honest, biblically, to say you're a Christian or you are a Christian and lack joy is an oxymoron. To say you are a Christian and the only joy you get is from the buzz you get from things in this world and not from Jesus is an oxymoron. It doesn't mesh. It doesn't line up to the biblical example we're given through many characters like the Apostle Paul, by Jesus himself, by King David. If the PowerPoint was working, which it's okay if it doesn't. I'm going to show a picture. Remember the Muppets and those two old Baptists that sat in the balcony? I mean, the two old guys that sat in the balcony? How many of us know brothers and sisters like that? They find fault with everything. They don't have joy. Only when it's going their way. How many of us are those? That our joy is only when it's our way. Oh, there they go. At the back. It's okay. The projectors are not cooperating today. So, if you were like those... Oh, here they come. Now, don't picture the person next to you, okay? What do you do, or what do we do if we find our life as a life... That our joy is only from what we get out of this world. Because we know the backhanded slap that comes with that. Where do we find it? How can we cultivate the joy that Jesus says is already ours? What I hope to do over the next few Sundays is highlight five things from this passage of Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 to 25. Two today, which is found in verses 19 to 21, and three consecutive Sundays, those things that are found in verse 22, 23, and 24 that begin with the statement, let us. Ideas that I believe will help us towards cultivating a thriving life, a life of joy. Let's not tie to the stuff around us. The first thing that the author Hebrew gives us totally, or towards learning how to thrive in living the Christian life, is having confidence to enter the holy places. In other words, having confidence to go to God at any place at any time. Now, of course, I think we understand that the confidence that we have to go to God, to go to the very living presence of God, is not having confidence in ourselves. 
is not having confidence in anything in this world. As this confidence is in the one, Jesus Christ, who has secured our faith. Verses 19 to 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by God, the blood, blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through the flesh. So friends, let me be frank. Are we totally sold out for Jesus? That he's the way. That he's the truth. That he's the life. That no one comes to the Father, including us. Except through Jesus Christ. Because to be a Christian, Christianity, it's not based, its core is not based on having good morals. It's not based on ethical living and relationship with other people. It's not based on being more good than bad. It's not based on serving the church, coming to the church. These things are good, don't hear me wrong. But the core of Christianity is Jesus Christ. Why? What he's done for us on the cross. He saved us. He forgives our sins. He makes the pathway clear that we can go to God at any time, any place, in any situation. See, say I'm swimming. And I'm going to go swimming. And I dip my toe into the water. I'm swimming, right? No, that's ridiculous. If I'm swimming and I go in the ankle deep, am I swimming? Or am I swimming when I plunge right in? Totally submerse myself in the water. See, that's what biblical Christianity is. It's not dabbling with our toes in. It's having confidence in who Jesus Christ truly is and what he's done for us, what he's doing for us, and what he's promised us. And there's no doubt the author of Hebrews is sold out for Jesus. Even a light reading of the book will tell us that, but notice at the beginning of verse 19, the word therefore. You know, in biblical language, in real life, if our spouses are saying such and such and such and such, and therefore, they're referring to everything they just said. He's referring to everything he said in the book of Hebrews about Jesus. In verse 19, the first word. Things like who he is. He's God. And things like what he's done for us. He's been the perfect, perfect sacrifice for us. What he's currently doing for us now, he's praying to, for us, to the Father, because he's right next to the Father in heaven. And now the author of Hebrews at verse 19 is basically saying something like this, with the word therefore, because of all the things that I have spoken to you about Jesus Christ up until now. That's the only reason you as a believer can enter confidently in the living presence of God. Certainly not by your own merit. Because your own merit, Scripture is clear, is like filthy rags. 
But the very presence of God at any time, any place, in any situation or circumstances has been secured on the cross through what Jesus Christ did. And obviously entering into God's presence means through prayer. Oh, be honest. We will never have a healthy, vibrant prayer life until we've completely sold out that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, what he's done for us, and we understand what he's doing for us today and where we'll be when we die. If we're just dabbling in Christianity, we'll struggle with prayer. And what he did for us has opened the way because the curtain was torn to give us the awesome privilege to go into the living God of the universe at any time, any place. No hesitation. No warming up. No trying to get our ducks in a row. But we understand because we're totally sold out that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And this is something we certainly, some of us know, many of us know, because we've experienced firsthand God's restoration power. Because we've gone to him broken, we've got, gone to him disworn out, we've gotten to him disheartened because living life in this fallen world with all the situations and circumstances that beat us down so much, we crawl into his presence. And he does his work on us. We get recharged, we get restored. Because the blood of Jesus has says that we can go to living God. And as we have been recharged, as we've been restored, our our joy and our hope comes back. Many of us know this sort of restoration, I have no doubt. That gives us traction towards having confidence. But Lois, after the word therefore in verse 19, since we have confidence in the English Standard Version, it's talking about the present, it's not the past. It's talking almost about the I have confidence all the time. Saying believers can have confidence, not just leaving the presence of God, but going to God at any time. Alluding to the fact that just perhaps thriving in the Christian life is a constant, not a thing that we do only coming to God. But we can be thriving when we go to the God. We can go to God not because we're broken, not because we need to be recharged, not because we need to be restored because we're worn out. But we enter because we're already thriving. Because we understand that our joy is not from those things in the world. Our joy is in Jesus Christ. About who he is, again, what he's done for us, what he's doing for us. And we understand that his joy is the only reason we can stand. Because the stuff in this world that gives us temporary joy does not sustain us through the good, bad, and ugly, does it? Because if that was the case, we all have flip phones. 
if we would have a phone at all. If that was the case, we'd all be driving old cars with carburetors that you have to pump three times to hold your tongue in the right place to start at a minus 30. If that was the case, we'd all be decked out in polyester because why would you need joy to wear a different style? But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why the joy that he gives is sustainable. So if we want to cultivate thriving, a life of joy, then we must have a consistent, vibrant, radical, committed life of prayer. Here's some homework for you. Read the book of Psalms. Most of them will say who they're written by. Most of them are written by King David, who was said to be a man after God's own heart. His life was not an easy life. But when you read the Psalms, you read honesty, you read repentance, confession, but you also read joy. You also see from his life, it was a life of thriving. Despite all the things that happened to him. The author then moves on to verse 21. Gives us another idea how we can thrive living the life as a believer in this world. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, we can thrive. We can thrive by knowing remembering that Jesus is our great high priest. It says elsewhere in the book of Hebrews. Meaning then, so think about the priest's in the Old Testament, not the priest in the Catholic Church today. The priest in the Old Testament, the great high priest, once a year would go into the most holy of holies to offer atonement, offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people of God. He served as a mediator between man and God and God and man. That's what Jesus Christ is constantly for us now. He is the mediator. Of the new covenant. He stands between us and God. And God and us. In addition the book of Hebrews tells us. That Jesus is a great high priest. Who knows exactly. What we're going through. Because he was. He's God who was incarnate. He walked this world in the flesh. He understands what it's like to be hungry. He understands what it's like to be disappointed. He understands what it feels like to be betrayed. He understands what it's like to be hungry, to be poor, to be whipped. That means then nothing catches him off guard. So what catches us off guard never catches him off guard. You know, those things that rob us of our joy never catch Jesus off guard. Meaning he understands, meaning if we go to him... He'll help us. Furthermore, as I mentioned earlier, he's a high priest that's always praying for us. He's always offering intercession on behalf of his people to the Father. And finally, perhaps the best part for us, the best part for our joy and our thriving through our life today is he's always with us. Again, like joy, he's, he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, Period. There's no doubt that that's true. 
So what more do we need to thrive than having God incarnate, Jesus Christ, walking with us as our great high priest? Have you ever went somewhere you're not familiar with? And somebody who's more experienced has walked you through those waters? When I first came here, I was doing a visitation at the Royal Alex Hospital. There's advantages of growing old. One is when you look confused, people help you. And I was looking confused, and this young volunteer came up to me and says, What well, can I help you with, sir? And I explained, I was a pastor here to visit somebody. He said, I'll take you right to their room. She took me through aisles and corridors and stuff like that. I had like, in like five minutes, we were there. It took me half an hour to get back to my parking spot when we were done because I was lost. Or when I was in the military and wore the uniform, having that uniform got me in a lot of places that I could never get in myself. Once I pulled, going back to Edmonton in Toronto, I was wearing my uniform and I was flying war there, if you remember that airline, and the person asked me, would you like first class today, sir? I said, how much? She said, it's free. Yes! Felt like I was commanding the Starship Enterprise. That chair was so big. <laughs> or at air shows, we're in uniform. I'd start talking to some of the ground crews from other nations. I got the special tours of aircraft. When you're with Jesus, we just have to ask him to help us through whatever we're going through. It may be hard, but we can do so with joy because he understands because he's praying because he's with us and he's got all the power in the world by the way so we'll leave it at that for today but I hope we understand a bit better today that we can thrive we can have joy in 2020 that comes from within Because our access with God is guaranteed. If Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to Father except through me, it's guaranteed. We know that because the curtain tore as well. So may we cultivate a deeper prayer life. No matter what its current state is, we can always get better because right now we're not in the very presence of God physically. And secondly, may we thrive knowing that Jesus, our great high priest, he walks with us. No matter what, no matter where, he's there. If he feels distance, he's never moved. It's usually us. And all I have to do is say, Jesus, help me. And he won't base us. It's like, where have you been the last two weeks, David? I've been right here. Why did you stumble? No, he'll say, Come. I'll help you through this. So may we trust and lean into him increasingly more in the coming days. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, sometimes I must confess life is so hard living here that it's so easy to take my heart off of you my eyes off of you and forget what Jesus has secured for us. So how, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you prompt my heart, would you prompt our heart to remember these things, that you're a prayer, access to you is a prayer away. 
that Jesus, when we cry out, help, you are there. And may we listen to your guidance through whatever the situation. So our joy would be maintained even though the waves baffled us. So we may thrive even in the midst of the storm. We pray. Help us, Father. Amen.